Welcome to the Mothers on the Frontline podcast, episode 28. Mothers on the Frontline is a nonprofit organization founded and run by mothers of children with mental illness to promote caregiver healing and children's mental health justice through storytelling. Our vision is a world in which mental health is destigmatized, respected, and prioritized as an integral part of the overall health of individuals, families, and communities. In this episode, we hear from Kate, a mother from Iowa whose children have autism, anxiety, ADHD, sensory processing disorder, and prosopagnosia. So hello, tell us a little bit about yourself before or outside of mothering. Who are you? What do you love? What do you love to do? I love yoga. I'm a very fanatic yogi, and what has happened with my son is really put me in touch with yoga and with mindfulness, so I really like to do that. I like to walk. I like to do gardening, mm. and I just overall, I'm a, I'm a very positive person, <laughs> and I like just to have fun. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. So I want you to pretend you're talking to parents. What do you want them to know about your experiences? What can you share that may be helpful for them to know? So in 2014, my son was officially diagnosed with ADHD, oppositional defiance disorder, ODD, and anxiety. And we had been going through a struggle which started actually with him in preschool, where we had seen some of the signs, but we weren't quite sure. He also has allergies, and because of that, it had to be on uh, steroids sometimes. Oh, yeah. So it was very hard to figure out what is normal two, three-year-old behavior, what is induced by being on steroids, right? and what is behavior that is cause for concern. And at the time, too, when I would be talking to my parents-in-law, often they would say, like, well... You know, your husband was just the same when he was little. But then after a while, we were really starting to struggle. It was hard for us sometimes to enjoy weekends where you're looking to forward to Monday because it's so draining, emotionally draining to be around your little guy. Yeah. And there comes a huge guilt complex with that because you feel like it's your fault. You're not doing something right. And after a while... My husband and I, we were just like, we need help. Yeah. At the time he was in daycare, which also had a, a preschool tied to it, they were very open to working with us. That's so good. they said like, we'll have somebody from Grandwood AEA come in, evaluate, and then we'll just see what happens. Right. We did that, there was some cause for concern. And then we also on our own reached out to a psychologist and started working with her. And then in 2014, uh, about a year before he went to kindergarten, he got officially diagnosed. So which was, for us, a lot of things, sort of all the puzzle pieces started to come together and we were just relieved in a way. But then on the other hand, it's like, there's a huge learning curve because now it's like, I know what it is, but what do I need to do? Right, So right. So for parents who are out there who who are starting that journey, they haven't had the diagnosis yet, or ones that have just got it, like, what could you t- 
talk about in terms of barriers that, that you have faced that have been hard for you to get your child the help he needs? Personally, for myself, I think I was the biggest barrier because sometimes you're in denial mm. and you think like, oh, it's just the age. It will be okay. This will, will resolve itself down the line, but it's, it's not. So it's just once you come to that realization and also give yourself a break. Mm. I think sometimes as parents, we all try to do a really good job, but we're only humans too, right. but we're really hard on ourselves. And a lot of with uh, mental illness diagnosis, there's a lot of shame, I think, sometimes connected to it as well. Absolutely. So people or parents, it holds them back at that shame, but it's okay to ask for help. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes that was a barrier for, for myself. Like, I'm, I'm always being very independent. I'm a go-getter. I just get things done myself. But there was a point that I reached that I was like, I don't want to live like this. This is this is not normal. If I'm doing something wrong, I need help. And I need somebody to let me know how I need to adjust my parenting style. Because I want to enjoy the time I spend together with my little guy. You brought up several things that are really important. I mean, one is... It's really confusing and you don't get to have a control. You have a kid, you don't get to have a scientific control and see, okay, what really is causing this? Let's change some variables. No. And especially for those of us who it's our only or first child, it can even be, we don't know what normal is and it's such a wide range. So it's hard to know if this is neurotypical development or if it's something we should pay attention to. Is it just quirky or is it something exactly. that's problematic that they need help yeah. with? That's So that's just hard to know. Mm-hmm. You also brought up another element, which is the shame, mm-hmm. right? And so asking for help. And the third thing is, if your child has something going on, we often have to adapt. So it isn't that our parenting's wrong. It's no. our parenting's wrong for the child with this neuro- neurology. Exactly. It's so there's no one right way to parent. It exactly. depends on the child's needs. So exactly. I love that you brought up all that. I just wanted to, to go back over that because I think those are really important for us trying to go through it. It gets all mingled up. So I love and then that. that was what I had to, like, I was going by how I was raised by my mom and dad. And I think they did a superb job. But it was a very easy kid. I listened. I didn't fuss a lot. And I, I was also raised, and I think a lot of people of our generation are raised like that. If mom and dad ask you something, you do it. Right. And that was the hardest for me. Like, why is my kid not listening to me? And because of his ODD diagnosis, it's it's... He's not as much defiant towards the dad, but it's more towards me, mm. which is weird, too, because I always say, like, they will be less defined to the authoritative person in the relationship. But it's actually me. It's <laughs> <laughs> the one that uh, right. is like, yeah, if I go to mommy and ask her dad, I'm not going to get away with that. <laughs> Just go to dad. <laughs> no, but that is true. There's another thing. Just like all kids and all human beings, they're different with different people. And it can be really, it can hurt our feelings a lot. It can be really hard when we're the ones seeing the symptoms, right? Exactly. And so that can be really hard. And it often can be because we're the parent they feel safe with or the person they feel safe with in terms of they know they're not going to not love me if I act up, you know, exactly. as opposed to yeah. an outs- like a stranger or teacher or something like that. They might hold it in more. So yeah. Like, yeah, no, it's it's really hard. So same thing, if you know, thinking about parents out there, what has worked really well in getting help for your child? What have been some successes or things you're like, Thank goodness that that happened or was available or... The number one thing for me was first, I had to change myself. 
before I was able to help my son, I had to let go of control. Mm. I had to let go of worrying. And that goes often with control because you want to know, well, what's going to happen then? When, well, how is this journey going to, how is journey going to be? Is it always going to be like this? And after a while, I just let go of yeah. all of that. I live day by day. I take one day at a time. If we sometimes have a bad day, I always say, tomorrow's another day. And we start with a clean slate. And I tell my son that as yeah. well. For myself too, I let go of emotions because it was because I had such an emotional kid and he still is, but we've really worked hard with him on helping gauge his emotions better or that he's just more aware of them Mm -hmm. and that he will be able to stop himself. And I think sometimes maturity helps with that as well. Absolutely. But at the time when we were struggling, I would always get it like asking, put your shoes on. It was like World War Three. Yes. And it's the battle you engage and you get worked up and you get upset and you start yelling, which I hate to do. Or you hear yourself the whole time just say, no, no, you can't do this because he's like all over the place. That for me was just just letting go of that control and just being aware of that. Like, I'm not going to go invest my emotions in that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be very patient I'm going to just take a step back and stay calm. And that has really helped. Like, it's not always successful. It's not easy. (laughs) Sometimes I have to dig really, really, really deep. (laughs) Or I'm thinking like, oh, I really want to do this or this or this right now. But no, I don't look good in orange. So I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Right. But then again, that helps me just sometimes to get through it because the sense of humor. Yes. Just being aware of, like, this is a very tough situation, and I'm just trying to do my best. And sometimes I can't do that, and I just walk away. And I give myself that break, that I'm just like, I can't handle this. I just walk away. And it's okay. It's not only okay, it's great modeling for your son. Mm Mm-hmm. I try to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's really important for, for you and me and all mothers and, and caregivers. It's it's wonderful that you're yeah. doing that. But it's it's hard. It is hard. <laughs> it's extremely hard. And sometimes you feel like I am on top of the world. I got this down. I like my new parenting style. I become calmer, more patient. I don't let my emotions get a hold of me that much anymore. And other days you're just like, oh, I suck at this. <laughs> so... Right now, it sounds, you know, like you're talking about when it was really rough, you know, but even when things are going well, we recognize they change from moment to moment. And so we like to ask right now, do you feel like you're swimming, drowning, treading water? Where are you at right now? I feel like I'm, I'm swimming, but I also know due to his ADHD and his ODD, especially the beginning of the school year, can be quite Mm -hmm. challenging. He knows the principal, he knows a special ed teacher, but it's always like he has a new teacher. So he tries to kind of figure out, like, what can I get away with? And this is where the behavioral issues, like the defiance will come in. He doesn't want to do his math, which he's really good at, but he has a love-hate relationship with it. And he's just trying to testing the water. So I know maybe by next week, the week after that, we're going to hit that wall where they're going to say, well, he did this today and he did that today. And and then after a while, by October, November, he'll be like, mm, no, the teacher, she sticks 
tour guns. I can manipulate her. I'll just comply. I'll just do my math. I'm I'm good. But I also I always am aware of that. Like yeah. last year we hit a, a wall again too, where his medication that he was on for his anxiety was not working anymore. So we really saw an increase because he was older. So we had to switch medications. Right. Which happens a lot when kids yes. are developing. Yes, exactly. Because the current dose, like what he was on, was no longer working. And we just saw certain behaviors reappear again that we were like, oh, we thought we were done with this. Right. But then we were aware of that. And then we informed the school about it. We said, we're going to go to the psychiatrist. We're going to explain this and probably we'll switch medications, which happens. But then most of these medications, it takes about at least four to six weeks. So we communicate that to the school. They always are like, hang in there. We know it's around. <laughs> <laughs> we're with you because what you're experiencing in school, we're experiencing at home. That's and true. But then we the medication started to work and he's been doing great. So I know down the down the line we will always hit rough patches. Yeah. But I'm aware of that. It's an expe- it's almost like an expectation that I know like yeah, talk we'll about, go there. Let's talk about that a minute because I think that's really important. It seems to me a common thing I know in my own experience when I talk to other mothers and other caregivers, the first time's devastating when you first have symptoms erupt and so on. And then things happen, maybe therapy, maybe medication, things seem to do a little better. And then things happen again. And that seems the most devastating because you first thought we knocked it. Like we have this imagination, we, this we solved it, yeah, like it's cured. It. No. Um, and so, you know, but then there's a kind of confidence that comes with going through a few cycles and knowing you can do this, you got it, it's hard, but you got through in the past, you'll get through again take it a day at a time. That's how you do it. So I think that's a really important thing for people to hear who are just having the first time or what I think is even harder is that second time things start to get rough to know it, it will ebb and flow and you're okay. You're going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's what, how you describe it. That's exactly how it is. Because I think even if you get a diagnosis in a way you have the expectations, you're like, I know it's really rough right now, but later on they will be okay. And, you know, all of this is just magically going to go away. No, it's not. It's just going to be, they, they become older. There, a lot of, again, maturity helps a lot with some Absolutely. of the disabilities that my son has. But my husband actually got diagnosed a year afterwards because he said, well, I've been having a lot of these struggles that I've seen our little guy now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the behaviors, I was like that when I was little. It's like, I think I'm going to get myself tested as well. So he has ADHD as well. But it was a good thing. It was yeah. kind of knowing, like, and for him especially, going on medication, that helped so much. And this is another common theme. It happens for a lot of parents because there's a lot of genetic yes, passing absolutely. down many of these conditions. and. And our generation and generations before us didn't have the knowledge and the outreach on these issues. So I know many people who they're getting diagnosed after their kids do, and it can help everybody yes. so much. Exactly. So that's and really wonderful. That's for happening. us, it's been a real, a real positive. Like you go through that, you go, you set on that journey, and then you're like, a lot of things, and especially for my husband, a lot of things started to make sense yeah. in his world as well. Then and then. Some of it was a little bit grief, knowing that I remember when he won the first day on his medication, by noon he said, like, I'll never forget it. Wow, 
is this what it feels like to be normal? And then the second thing that he said was, I wish I would have had this medication when I was in college. And that to me just showed how much of a struggle it can be. And it explains also the stigma that is still on mental disabilities because often people, they will look at a person, they're like, well, I don't see anything wrong with them. Absolutely. Invisible disabilities are tough. it's It's really tough. And then there's the behavioral issues and then kids start to act out. But then if you don't understand the disability, like... People are, why are they doing this? Well, it's, it's, it's okay. It's normal. Because I always say there's a lady that actually wrote a book this year, which I, I'm a big fan of, and I would strongly recommend to parents, uh, especially to moms, to read it. It's Differently Wired, Raising an Exceptional Child in a Conventional World. It's by Deborah Reber. And she calls her kid differently wired. I like And that. I call my kid differently wired, too, or an atypical kid. Yeah. It's like... They're just a little bit differently wired. Their brains make a little bit. There's different connections in there. But overall, they're still good kids. Absolutely. They're fun kids. Because I think sometimes there's so much attention is being given to their negative behaviors. Yes. And these kids so much need positive reinforcement. They need it so much more than your regular wild kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's true. And also sometimes the different... Wired comes with benefits that we don't talk about enough, yes. too. I think that's one of the things <laughs> as well. So we've been talking a lot about your journey with your child, but what is your self-care routine or more appropriate survival technique? Now, you mentioned yoga and mindfulness, which are so key, I'm sure. So do you want to talk a little bit more about that? How does that help you? Or are there other things you do to sort of take care of you? Sometimes it's, it's easier than other times. I feel sometimes when things are going really good, you're very motivated to go to yoga class and, and being mindful. But I notice when you're more like in a survival mm-hmm. awareness or survival mode, it's like, I'm tired. I don't want to go do this. No, I don't feel happy right now. Right, right. <laughs> I don't want to go to a yoga class. But for me, if I'm aware of it, and I can have that conversation with myself then, I push myself to, yes, you got you got to leave everything right now because you talking to yourself or having these little mind games going yeah. on, that means you need to get your butt to yoga and go relax for an hour. Okay. And then usually by the end of that class, I'm like, oh, I so needed this. <laughs> I'm me again. <laughs> and for me also, I have great friends they understand they're uh, they're part of my gang they don't judge mm-hmm. and sometimes when I'm struggling because that's sometimes you don't want to necessarily talk to your husband because they're going through the same thing you're talking about mm-hmm. it but you always need that perspective you always need to talk to other people that have gone through the same experiences or understand yeah. and that really helps like when I'm sometimes struggling and I I'm like oh what am I doing wrong or or not just that, you just hit a rough spot spot yeah. again. I just am like, okay, we're going to have breakfast, get together with my friends. And then after a two-hour talk, I'm like, I got this. <laughs> That's a really good point because, as you said, it, it changes. And I know with my own sisterhood of friends, right, we've been lucky that we're not all crashing at the exact same moment somehow. I don't know how that works out. It's only happened once where we're all like, oh, no, what do we do? <laughs> We're all drowning right now. But so you're right, because if you're talking to someone like a spouse, a partner, 
even a, a mother or father, if they're helping you take care of your children, if they're involved in it and they're mm-hmm. going through the same thing at the same moment, they're going through it too. So yeah. having that outside, you know, group that understands is so helpful yeah. to have that support. I think that's right. So we like to end with this question and we feel like anyone raising kids, this has nothing to do with neurotypical or not. <laughs> There's some funny things those kids have done or that have happened in our lives that make us smile. So we like to ask, what is your most laughable moment when you think about your experience with your son? Anything that makes you smile or... He just makes me... He's got a great sense of humor. I'm always so surprised because sometimes you get so much negative feedback what goes on in school and and the school he goes to they're they're really great about also they celebrate the good things because and we tell them to please don't only me tell us when things are going wrong we need to hear it when he is doing great because at school they make a big deal about it and we make a big deal about it at home too and usually it's a sense of humor he will say these i can't quite recall things but he's just funny there's one thing, yeah. When he was little, I have a friend, and she's called Mary, and she would come and babysit him at times just when we wanted to go get a break. Or, and she was very understanding. She, she wasn't judging or anything, and she knew how to handle it. And then one time I was like, yeah, Mary's coming later on. And he's like, Mary? He's like, my Mary? And I'm like, yeah. And he looked at me very seriously and he's like, well, you need to get your own Mary. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. <laughs> no no sharing, Mary. No. <laughs> That's great. Well, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us and share your story. And really appreciate hearing about it and how you and your family are doing. So thank, thank you for you. giving me the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Mothers on the Frontline podcast, copyrighted in 2019. Today's podcast host was Tammy Nyden. The music is Old English, written, performed, and recorded by Flame Emoji. For more podcasts relating to children's mental health, go to mothersonthefrontline.com or subscribe to Mothers on the Frontline on iTunes, Android, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you would like to support our work, please make a tax-deductible donation on our website. Again, it's mothersonthefrontline.com. That's one word, mothers on the front line.